0: Father, as we open the Bible now to learn, may we behold you, may we have an encounter with you. Uh, We want to know you and we want to be changed by you. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Take a seat. Thanks. Good morning. My name's Matt. It's great to be with you, church. Really nice to be here. And if you're visiting, love to meet you afterwards. I think I'm a friendly guy. <laughs> I think. Uh, Naomi, my wife, and I have recently discovered our local library. Yes, real books still exist. Um, not just those iPady ones, you know. And anyway, I think it was Friday afternoon. Naomi and I there were there. Now it's kind of a weekly event for us. They're free. It's incredible. <laughs> And, uh, and you can get DVDs, you can get books, all sorts of things. Uh, you can get magazines there. And uh, Naomi and I were rummaging through the magazines. I think they're limitless. I think you can take home like 20 books, DVDs, magazines. Sorry, I'm still overwhelmed by the whole experience. And um, anyway, we were perusing these magazines and Naomi pointed out to me, it's just amazing what our culture is after, what we're looking for. Uh, you can see it in the titles of magazines at the moment, or um, well, you could probably see it in every age in the titles of magazines. There were things like uh, mindfulness, you know, hashtag smart thinking. That was one of the titles. There was another one called Breathe, Breathe, and the subheading was and make time for yourself. Well-being, exploring healthy living. I picked up one that I brought today. I left it in my office, actually. And it was called Earth Garden. And I thought, that's particularly relevant for my sermon. So I took it home. And uh, maybe if we have time, I can share some of the the things that it had to share about life. Uh, But as we were flicking through them, Naomi also pointed pointed out to me, especially in the home and gardening selection of magazines, there's this idea of forever home, your forever home. And I actually found an advert for a book in these magazines called Your Forever Home. And the the subheading was, a perfect companion for anyone about to embark on building their forever home. And this was, it had a must read before you embark on your build or renovate. It will guide you through everything you need to know about building the place you'll absolutely love. So I took that home. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was an interesting term for me, forever home, Not, not least because I realized that's actually not true. That's a lie. Perhaps many of you have experienced what it's like to be moved out of your home. My generation, I read in the paper recently, is the most pessimistic that will be able to afford to live in a home. Uh, That's why we're still in our parents' houses, right? (laughs) Is this simply not true? That struck me. We'll either be moved out We'll either be moved out if we can ever move in. But also I realised actually, obviously there's a deep desire within all of us for a forever home. For somewhere we'll absolutely love. For somewhere that, um, I was reading some of the blurbs about what a forever home is, a place that tells our journey. A place that's inspired. A place that suits us perfectly. I thought, actually, maybe there is a a deep need for us. Maybe there is something going on within. Genesis 2 points to humanity's original forever home. God's forever home for us. How he wanted the world to be. How he set the world up to be. Humanity's original forever home. That's what Genesis 2 is all about. I don't know what you Think about paradise or the picture you have in your mind about Eden, the Garden of Eden. Uh, But this morning, I don't want you to necessarily imagine a beautiful veggie garden or have a picture of your physical forever home. Maybe you are building something or renovating something. That's fantastic. Bear in mind, you will be moved out one day. Um, What I want you to have in mind is something more powerful than that. Best-selling psychologist and social commentator Hugh McKay argues that the number one need of human beings is to be taken seriously. Knowing we are valuable trumps all other felt needs. I think God's forever home, the Garden of Eden, has something to say about us feeling valued Something about us being taken seriously. So let's have a look at it. What is God's plan for his original forever home? The first thing I want to point out is that in this picture of Eden, in this picture of paradise, God takes humanity seriously. That's the first thing we see. God takes humanity seriously. Have a look at verse 7 with me. Chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. That language here is of a professional artisan with its artwork. Perhaps it conjures up the image of a potter with his clay. A craftsman being deliberate, careful, taking pleasure and joy in forming something just the way he wants it before you drift off and you think, I'm a Christian, I've heard this before, I know that God has created humanity, he's made us special, I think we need to realize just how unique this picture of humanity is. If you could sum up uh, all the other views about humanity from ages past till now, there's something like humanity is an afterthought or humanity is an accident. That's, that's all there is. I mean, tell me something different afterwards, but... I've, I've read a little bit of history and a little bit of philosophy. We're either an afterthought or we're an accident. Unless there's another story. Um, Graham, I have something to show you. Catherine also made one of these for me. <laughs> it's upside down, obviously. Um, but I've been thinking this week about this idea of an artisan and an artwork and how important the artwork is to the artisan and and i know that graham if you or i scrunched this piece of paper up and didn't stick it on our fridge later today catherine would be very upset because this is important to her she's made something that she loves Uh, many of you might know that um, i dabble in a bit of songwriting that's my little art you know i dabble i spend a little bit of time doing that and those songs are important to me. And I was thinking about this this week, and I thought, if I lost uh, the, the CD that I have, if I lost my journal, or if somebody, you know, wrote me an email saying, really don't like those songs, um, I'd be a bit cut by that. I'd be a little bit hurt. Those songs are, are something I've made and something that are precious to me. Now, I'm an amateur. You know, I <laughs> don't expect to hear them on the radio. Um, but those songs are valuable to me even though I'm an amateur. Imagine what Michelangelo felt for his sculpture of David. Imagine how valuable that sculpture was to him. That I was reading this week, that rock was cut out 100 years before he was alive. It was handed on from sculptor to sculptor to sculptor before he even saw it. And then it's part of a bigger scheme. And he spent two years, day and night, working on that piece of marble. Imagine how valuable, if many of you have seen it, I'm sure, that David is to Michelangelo. Now, I want you to picture another sculpture. I want you to picture a human being, perhaps a little child. Now, I know that's not your artwork or my artwork, but we have a sense of its value, its preciousness, don't we? The Bible says, Genesis 2 says, God has created us. Genesis 2 says, God takes us, you and me, humanity, seriously. He values it. The second thing, uh, well, sorry, we'll start on point one, but I also want to show you that God thinks... God takes humanity seriously, not just because he makes us and he forms us, but also because what he has made us for. You'll notice uh, in Genesis 2 verse 7, it says that um, at the end there, no shrub or plant had yet appeared on the earth because the Lord had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. The point is, is just as important to water To the ground, just as important to the world as God sending rain, is a human to work the ground that the rain falls on. It's as if God and humanity are in partnership and both required to to make the world everything God wants it to be. From God's perspective, we play an important part in his world. This um, is something we kind of saw last week. Do you remember... In Genesis 1, it talked about us being made in the image of God. That's not a term that um, the author in Genesis has made up. Um, you might know King Tut, you know the uh, Egyptian pharaoh from the 18th dynasty. Um, his real name was Tutankhamun. Tutankhamun, his name means image of Amun. Amun is the biggest god in Egypt. And so pharaoh is the image of of his God, And that means anything the Pharaoh does, it's as if it's God's work through him. He bears his God's image to do his God's work. And that's what Genesis 2 is saying about us. We rule on our God's behalf. And notice in Genesis 2, it's not just a king, is it? It's all of humanity. The weak, the strong, the poor, the rich, the able, the disabled... Those at the top of society and those who are on the margins. We are made to do God's things to do. How important must we be to God? Um, many of you know Naomi and I went on a break uh, a few months ago. And I was in London and I left Naomi at home this morning because I decided to go to Churchill's uh, war bunker, you know, his secret war bunker in World War II, Churchill's War Rooms, they're called. And there's a museum there with all of um, Churchill's life and legacy in it. Fascinating for me, not so much for Naomi. And, um, and I'm there, I'm going through Churchill's museum, and I noticed this ordinary-looking notebook, an A4 exercise notebook with lines and lines of writing on it. I thought, oh, that's interesting to put that behind a glass. A piece of glass, I walk over to it and I notice there's dot points on it. And here was Churchill's secretary's to do list for D Day. Her to do list for D Day, the day that began the end of World War II. I, now, I looked at that and I went, that's amazing. I know what this is. That's a to do list. I've seen one of those before on my own desk. I use it sometimes. I thought, wow, if only my to-do list won wars, (laughs) wouldn't that be amazing? And I thought about it, and I thought, perhaps my to-do list is handed down to me from on high. Perhaps what I do with my life matters, because I'm made in the image of God, and I'm doing things on his behalf in this world. I'm here to do godly things, to act in godly ways. Now, the Allies in World War II won. Churchill won because his secretary got her to-do list done. Humans do a divine work. We do God's work. Now, there's some encouragement to tick off some things on your to-do list this week, huh? We do a divine work. Now this is exactly going on. Uh, This is exactly what's going on in chapter 2, verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Those, Those words there, to work it and take care of it, point to the fact that these are not things that we do for ourselves. They're not things we just do for the garden. But they're things that we do for God. We are in God's world. We are, if you like using this language, we are priests in God's temple. We serve the living God. So God takes humanity seriously because he formed us. God takes humanity seriously because he made us for his purposes. That's point two. The second and third points are much shorter. (laughs) It's okay. Point two is that um, not only does God take humanity seriously, but in God's forever home, humanity takes God seriously. Humanity takes God seriously. Uh, Notice how dependent humans are on God in this story. Uh, Verse 9, we see three things that humanity is dependent on God for. The first is food. Humanity is dependent on God for food. God creates trees for them. The trees bear food, humans eat the trees. We're dependent on food. Secondly, for eternal life. Humans are dependent on God for eternal life. And thirdly, for morality. that You'll notice there in the garden, God God puts the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's that all about? Well, the commentators tell us it's not just... It's not that if humans partake of that tree, then they'll understand what's good and evil. It's rather if they partake of that tree... They're saying they want to determine what is good and what is evil for themselves. In God's original forever home, God had set up, God had determined what was good and what was evil, and human beings depended on him for their morality. Just notice the spectrum. We've got humanity depending on God for food. How good is food, right? How simple and essential is food? On the other end of the scale, you've got humanity depending on God for their morality. Now, I take it we can handle this first one. We all agree with this, right? We all know what it is to to get hangry, don't we? Have you heard that term? Combination of hungry and angry. It's what happens when my wife doesn't eat. (laughs) She gets hangry. And so I feed her. We get, we get this, and some of us actually even thank God. We say grace before a meal or something like that. But on this end of the scale, well, that's almost outlawed in Australia, isn't it? To ask God what he thinks is, is right and wrong, to ask God what he thinks is good and evil, and not to determine it for ourselves, that's almost outlawed, outlawed in our country. But Genesis wants to convince you that that is just as good and important and useful as that. That taking God's perspective on right and wrong is just as important as being dependent on him for food. And it does this by saying, how good is food? Food is good. How good would it be to take what God thinks is right and wrong, and apply that to our lives. Just imagine for a moment how free the world would be if we were all on the same page about morality. Imagine how free we'd be from injustice and hate, from mess and the confusion and despair that we are in. God's determined what is right and wrong, and Genesis 2 is saying that that God is good, And that's worth taking note of. So, God's forever home, paradise, is a place where God takes humanity seriously and a place where humans take God seriously. It's also a place where we take one another seriously. And that's the third point in Genesis 2 for us. Humanity takes one another seriously in God's forever home. You'll notice the first time something is not good, in this story of the world, is when man is alone. Did you see that in chapter 2, verse 18? The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now, alone here has not got to do with uh, loneliness. The man has God with him in the garden. I think God would make pretty good company. But it's more about having a helper to do the work, which we've talked about. And notice here, helper as well isn't a subservient role. I mean, Graham's spent some time on this, but helper, that exact term, is used for God himself in the following chapters that we come across in the Bible. And so it's not about a subservient role. And interestingly, interestingly, this helper is not found among the animals, is she? That's not where woman comes from. Rather, we're told where exactly the woman comes from. She comes from the man's side. What's significant about that? Well, Jewish commentaries for centuries have told us that this is significant, that the woman doesn't come from the head, as if she was above the man. She doesn't come from his feet either, as if she were below. She comes from the side because she is his equal. Now, we need to see something there. This means equality and dignity for both men and women in who they are and in what they do. We need to hear that this morning. The final thing to see in this passage, though, about the relationship between men and women, about humanity taking one another seriously, is that there's no shame in their relationship. Did you notice that? Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine? I mean, we can't imagine, but try and imagine... A world with no shame between me and you, between one another. Have you ever felt guilty in a relationship? Of course you have. Naomi and I did a marriage course just recently here at St. Stephen's in this building, and I would highly recommend it to you uh, when it comes up, whether you're married or together with someone. And uh, one of the things they mentioned is that as couples grow together, it's remarkable how well... They know how to push one another's buttons. My previous rector used to put it like this. He says, it's amazing how the ones we hurt the most are those closest to us. We hurt the ones we love. You know, I don't know you that well, and I wouldn't know exactly what to say to hurt you, but I know how to rise and strike the hearts of the one I love, the ones I love. That's true, isn't it? In Eden, in God's forever home, the way he wanted the world to be, there's zero shame. In this original forever home, humans take one another seriously. Did you notice Adam wrote a, wi- a poem for his wife on the first day he met her? How good's that? <laughs> I, uh, Naomi and I celebrated our second anniversary Uh, this year, our second year anniversary of marriage, and uh, I gave her a card two days late, but so did she. (laughs) No one's one's taking note. It's okay. Humans take one another seriously in God's forever home. This is a place where God takes humanity seriously, humanity takes God seriously, and where humans take one another seriously. But next week... And you already know this, as we turn the page, as we look at Genesis chapter 3, the world is about to fall off the edge of a cliff. Let me tell you, it's not because God stops taking humanity seriously. I think it's because we stop taking God seriously and because we stop taking one another seriously. God continues to take humanity seriously even when we turn our back on him and on one another. That's what this original forever home is all about. That's what God is setting up here. He's saying, I will always take you seriously. So what do we do with Genesis chapter 2? What do we do with this blueprint of life that God, where the world started? What do we do with that? Well, the first thing to do is have hope. You can have hope this morning. That's remarkable. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the first fruits that we are moving into a future that resembles, that looks like this forever home. That's just a glimpse of what's to come. The second thing, you can have hope, church, you can have hope. The second thing you can do is you can dream. I think Genesis Genesis chapter 2 it's just—it's beautiful and literary. It, it wants to overwhelm us with these pictures and these ideas because it wants, you to, it wants you to dare to believe that God has something better for us in the end. You, you'll start seeing that God has something like this forever home in the future for us. In stories, in movies, in books, in magazines... You'll even see it in spring when death gives way to life and you feel warm again. The final thing, church, you can do is you can share this with one another. I am so encouraged to be a part of a community that has hope because it knows that God is taking us into a new and better forever home. And as we remind one another of that every Sunday, every Wednesday night, Thursday night when we get together, doesn't that give us hope for something more than this world? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to see a different perspective on life, to see your perspective on life to see how you actually made it and intended it to be. And Lord, we want to get caught up in that vision. So Lord, help us today. Help us to listen to your voice, to understand how important we are to you, that you take us seriously. And help us to reciprocate that, to take you seriously. And then to take one another seriously as we wait for our forever home. Amen.